Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and then also, there was a story from um, the Brookings Institute. There was a report that came out from the Brookings Institute in late November. And on uh, Roland Martin's show, MSNBC, uh, CNN, a lot of news outlets had a story about this dealing with uh, African-American home ownership, African-American home ownership. And it deals with how homes owned by African-Americans are undervalued by billions of dollars. It's a really, really good uh, it's a really, really good study. And this deals with the impact of redlining, a history of redlining, a history of African-Americans being excluded also from uh, low-interest uh, home loans, things of this nature. Uh, but this ties into African-American wealth also. So it's a very, very important study uh, for the Brookings Institute. Uh, it's a very, very uh, important, and this ties into history as well. Okay, so we'll talk about that. Uh, and then we know, uh, that, so this past week they had the uh, funeral, or a week before last, they had the funeral for uh, George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush, okay? And uh, I know there were, you had nationwide coverage of this, um, and there were uh, tributes done to George H.W. Bush uh, as well, okay? But uh, a lot of people are not talking about when George H. W. When the uh, George H. W. Bush White House once ordered a drug buy from an African American teen uh, for a presidential TV stunt, and this deals with uh, it was an African American teenager who was selling crack, and he was set up to go sell crack across the street from the White House in Lafayette Park. He didn't even know where the White House was. He asked, oh, you mean, the, you mean the place where Reagan lives? And this was all geared around the war on drugs so uh, Bush could do a uh, TV, uh, can do a, a TV address and hold up a bag of crack and say this was sold across the street from the White House. We're, we're going to talk about that story. Then USA Today had a really good article dealing with how... Um, uh, the, the legacy of George H.W. Bush is mixed when it comes to civil rights, okay? USA Today had a good article about that. Uh, Newsone.com had a really good story uh, dealing with uh, George H.W. Bush and the Willie Horton ad uh, as well. Social media remembers the racist Willie Horton ad as George H.W. Bush dies at 94, okay? So in, in a lot of the mainstream media coverage uh, of George H.W. Bush, that you see on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, things like this, right? It's, it's different than the coverage that you see when you go to African-American news sources or news sources targeting uh, African-Americans, okay? Because that, that coverage was, uh, <laughs> it was much more uh, balanced, okay? And they, and they, and they weren't, uh, I mean, because, you know, if you, the coverage that you saw, uh, some of the coverage that I saw on George H.W. Bush, I mean, this seemed like a guy you want to go have a beer with, uh, the way <laughs> the way they were <laughs> the way they were portraying him. Uh, and then we saw this past week Donald Trump uh, tapped William Barr to be his new attorney general. Now he has to go through Senate confirmation, but. Uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, when William Barr was the Attorney General before under George H.W. Bush, and they're talking about um, his stance on uh, prison, uh, um, criminal justice reform 
and uh, prisons and things like this. He was saying there, there need to be more people locked up. Uh, so uh, news1.com had a really good article uh, dealing with that. We may have time to uh, get to that. I'll at least give you the name of that article because that's, that's something uh, that everybody needs to take a look at. And this is an example, uh, once again, of how elections have consequences. This is an example of how elections have consequences. So I told people um, what would happen if Donald Trump became president. People didn't want to listen. He nominates Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, okay, to be his uh, attorney general. Jeff Sessions redeclared the war on drugs. Uh, we saw that Jeff Sessions, um, it, it was against consent decrees to reform police departments. He's against, he was against holding uh, police departments accountable at all. And then he, uh, then Trump nominates another hardliner. Um, and even though William Barr is more respected in the law enforcement community, uh, he's still a hardliner. He, 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 he's not beneficial to African-Americans at all in general. He's not beneficial to African-Americans at all. So I also did um, the Facebook Live broadcast Monday, December 3rd. And I rebroadcast it a few times, broadcast it on YouTube. And this is dealing with Black China, the reality TV star, former stripper. Uh, she was with Rob Kardashian. She was with uh, the rapper Tigger before that, if I remember correctly. Um, Black China went to Nigeria on November 25th to promote a skin lightening cream that many people call a skin bleaching cream called White Tenacious. This is, this, this is, I'm not making this story up, okay? If you've seen my broadcast, you know what I'm talking about. You can read articles from Face to Face Africa about this. News1.com had articles. You can go research this. She went to Nigeria to promote a skin lightening cream to black Africans, okay, called White Tenacious. And there was a whole backlash behind this. Uh, you know, stories we're talking about the self-hatred that's being promoted uh, behind this, uh, et cetera, and how this is a holdover from uh, colonialism and how we're dealing with uh, white supremacy that's being marketed through the media but being uh, taken to our brothers and sisters on the continent of Africa by an African-American woman who went over there with this long blonde weave or whatever the hell it was she was wearing on her head. So as Black China went to Nigeria to promote a skin lightening or skin bleaching cream to Africans in Nigeria, Rwanda is stepping up their fight against skin bleaching creams. And skin bleaching is an epidemic on the continent of Africa. You would think, well, you have all these dark-skinned African people you know, they'd be proud to be African. Some of them are, some of them aren't. Because as I said before, white supremacy is a global system. And as Dr. Francis Cress Wilson taught us, white supremacy works 24 hours, seven days a week. It doesn't take a sick day, doesn't take a lunch break, doesn't take a coffee break, doesn't take a two-week vacation, doesn't take paid holidays. No, <laughs> white supremacy is a global system. So you have black China promoting a skin lightening cream called White Tenacious, which was introduced in 2014 by a Cameroonian Nigerian singer named Densia, who uses White Tenacious also. If you just Google Densia, D-E-N-C-I-A, or you go to uh, YouTube and watch the YouTube broadcast that I did, our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, uh, I show you a picture of Densia before and after. 
She was beautiful before when she was dark skinned. She looked like Casper the Friendly Ghost after using white tenacious. And then in Michigan, recreational marijuana became legal December 6th. But contrary to popular belief and what people have been saying, calling the radio shows, it's not just, you can't just do whatever you want to do with marijuana. There are, there are no more restrictions. Like you can't drive and smoke weed, people. I hope y'all know this. You can't drive and smoke weed. Okay, so we're going to deal, we're going to separate fact from fiction for you uh, and deal with the uh, new Michigan law, what it means you can do and what it means you can't do. You can't just stand out on your front porch smoking weed. You get a ticket. You can do it on your back porch, but you can't stand out on your front porch smoking weed. You can't walk down the street smoking marijuana. Okay, so <laughs> there's been a lot of misconceptions about what it means. Also, you have to be at least 21 or older. So that doesn't mean 10-year-olds cannot smoke marijuana. No, so we're going we're gonna to do a public service announcement, right, and separate the fact from fiction to help you out because we don't want anybody getting arrested or getting a ticket unnecessarily. And then we have an update in the Eric Garner case, right? Remember Eric Garner? Staten Island, New York, I can't breathe, said I can't breathe 11 times, I think it was. You had officers standing around while he lay on the ground, did not provide him any first aid. Just treated him like he was a dog, like an animal. They treated him better than a dog, because at least PETA or the Humane Society would protect a dog. He had no protection, okay? Well, there's been an update in the Eric Garner case uh, involving Officer Daniel Pantanela, uh, uh, Pantanello, uh, who was the one accused of putting the chokehold around Eric Garner's neck. We'll talk about that as well. You don't want to miss that update. Okay, so on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it corrects wrong behavior. Uh, oh, I forgot to tell you. Oh, big story. Michael Coyne pled, Michael Coyne pled guilty to lying to Congress about the Moscow Project. And then because of the filings, from Mueller and the Southern District of New York on Friday, all weekend, more and more people have been talking about the impeachment of Donald Trump, Donald Trump and the, and the uh, imminent, possibly imminent impeachment of Donald Trump uh, once Mueller finishes his investigation. And we know Democrats take control of the House of Representatives January 3rd. So this has not been a good week for Trump at all. And it's going to get worse. Always going to get worse. All right, so on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So we can control the, uh, the radius of a man's thoughts. You can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, you can sign up there as well. All right. Um, I want to let you know coming up 
on, on December 27th, second day of Kwanzaa. I'll be speaking at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History for the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement for their uh, Kwanzaa celebration, okay? Uh, so you don't want to miss that. And I'll be dealing with some of the history of Kwanzaa, and I'll be tying Kwanzaa and African history into the movie uh, Black Panther and what we can learn from the movie Black Panther. We'll talk about some other things also. That's taking place 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Charles H. Wright Museum of uh, African American History, okay? All right, uh, we're coming up here on a break in a few minutes. I want to let you know a special... Uh, a, a special announcement from 9, 10 a.m. Uh, why are Lansing officials trying to take away local control of zoning ordinances? Why are they trying to allow our precious cities to turn into possible wastelands and contaminated environments? It's time for us to tell the guys in Lansing to stay in their lane. We know what happens when the state controls, we know what happens when the state takes control of local power. They win and we lose. Enough is enough. Lansing, stop being greedy. Okay? Lansing, stop being greedy. And um, this is paid for by Kevin Adele, station owner, a concerned citizen. All right? And Lansing, back that thing up. Stop being greedy. What can I say? You're coming up, we're coming up on a break here. You listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Reading is imperative, family. Remember, it was illegal for our ancestors to read and gain knowledge of self. Still to this day, we lack a knowledge of self, especially this younger generation. DTR 360 Books has the books for you to develop and add to your knowledge in this world we live in. DTR 360 Books is one of the fastest growing online bookstores, and it provides books dealing with finance, history, business, children's books, and more. Their motto is applied knowledge is true power. As the Bible states, faith without works is dead. So their thing is applying the knowledge that which you receive from these books. Visit their website today, dtr360books.com, dtr360books.com, and you can find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mel Trek is an animated series that teaches our children about their greatness. Episode 1 deals with exploring ancient Africa, where they go back in time and visit various African civilizations and the contributions that they gave to the world. Episode 2 deals with exploring pre-Columbian Americas and the children's journey back in time to learn about several aboriginal cultures, defining structures, and nations who arrived in the Americas before Christopher Columbus. This is a great teaching tool for homeschooling and the classroom, and they teach our children that their history did not start in slavery. We have the videos as well as the coloring book and storybook available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a Mail Trek bundle pack on sale right now for $79.99, and it includes all three episodes of Afro Man and the Protectors of the Book of Knowledge. Get this great gift and teaching tool for your children today at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And Anime Productions presents Mel Trek, Episode 1, Exploring Ancient Africa, 
witness the most accurate historical account of African, African-American people. A story that has never been told like this before. Join Bunchy, Chen, Percy, Michelle, and Jesse as they open their third eyes and are sent back in time by their magical teacher, Miss Lofton. They begin their adventure in ancient Africa in the Nile Valley. There, they meet a young Egyptian boy named Ramesses. Using hip-hop, funky beats, and rhymes, Ramesses teaches the children about the great kingdoms of Africa. They explore the Nile Valley. The Nile Valley was a place of Nine. Ghana's the first star, land of the gold that they sold Nasa. Mali and Songhai. Mali and Songhai must have had some serious armies. The Congo. The Congo region is beautiful. Zimbabwe Witness the mental and spiritual transformation of the characters Not only will they transform, but you will also As you travel with Meltrek Let's resurrect the spirit of our ancestors inside all of us And recall that we all come from greatness So we can be We gon' want you to a different time zone Where our ancestors always sat on the throne Yeah, and I'm talking about you and me Our people think she considered greatest and royalty So rise up, sons and daughters of a KB land It's time to claim our riches and take back our land So come and take this journey and when you come back Tell your friends and family all about the mail track Are you struggling with your finances or just need a second opinion? My name is Martisha Patterson and I am here to help. Whether you have questions about credit, retirement, taxes, investments, or meeting day-to-day -day responsibilities, you deserve access to a qualified, caring, and resourceful financial professional. As a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry, I have a passion for helping people gain confidence and become successful with money. Taking control of your finances creates options instead of obstacles. Confidence instead of uncertainty. Make no mistake, this is an important step for all of us. Will you allow your situation to control you or will you take control and make your money behave? My name is Martisha Patterson. Call or email me today to schedule an appointment. My phone number is 646 5524384. Again, 646 or email me at gmail.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, December 9th, 2018. Hey, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Current promotion, spend $100 or more, get 20% off your entire order. And we also have the uh, Meltrek uh, bundle pack for our children, which teaches them their histories, an animated series which use conscious hip-hop and animation to teach our children their history. Uh, and then we have the eight DVD bundle pack, the Africans that were here before Columbus, the Africans that were here before Columbus, eight DVD bundle pack also, okay? So check that out as well. All right, well, back on uh, November 28th on uh, MSNBC, Ari Melber talked about the new study from the Brookings Institute, and uh, this study deals with uh, African-American home ownership. It's a sobering new report from the Brookings Institute that shows how uh, homes owned by African-Americans are undervalued by billions of dollars and is having a domino effect on African-American families when it comes to paying for education and retiring. 
Okay. Uh, Ali, Ali Velshi on Velshi and Rule uh, was joined by one of the report's authors, Andre Perry, to discuss the quote-unquote segregation tax that is limiting opportunities for African Americans. So let's go to this clip. the upward economic right. mobility of African-Americans. Right Since at right least back. the 1940s, home ownership has been seen as a, a cornerstone of the American dream. It provides a sense of security, but it also builds wealth in the form of equity in your home. Now, through the mid-20th century, local governments and financial institutions used a practice known as redlining. They would literally draw red lines around black neighborhoods, leading to fewer municipal services, lower home values in those areas. But that was supposed to have ended. Well, a study from the Brookings Institution found that neighborhoods that are at least 50% black have an average, an average of 23% lower home values. This is serious. The, this devaluation, by the way, just to give you a bit about how this is done, it's measured against comparable neighborhoods, looking at absolute home price differences in neighborhoods with at least 50% black populations versus neighborhoods that have fewer than 1% black residents. It also looks at structural characteristics, the year the home was built, square footage, number of rooms. It's trying to make an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. And it looks at neighborhood amenities, the physical landscape, the economic status, the quality of education, the types of stores available, grocery stores, things like that. When all of those are equalized, we're actually looking at, we're comparing apples to apples here. When it is equalized, homes in black neighborhoods are undervalued, on average, by $48,000. That is a loss of $156 billion in home value for millions of Americans, mostly African Americans, but also white Americans who live in majority black neighborhoods. Brookings looked at 113 different metropolitan areas that had at least one majority black neighborhood and compared home values in that majority black neighborhood to uh, home values outside of the majority black neighborhood. All of these purple, these are all purple, all of these purple areas are areas of devaluation. You can see them all over the, the, the eastern part of the country where majority black neighborhoods have lower home values than other neighborhoods that are otherwise equal. The green, you can hardly see it. There's green here, there's green here, green here, green here, green here. There are a few areas of appreciation where majority black neighborhoods have higher home values than non-majority black neighborhoods. But the overwhelming majority of them are cases in which black neighborhoods have lower property values. The majority black neighborhoods in Florida's Sebastian Vero Beach area actually have higher values compared to other neighborhoods. But there are obviously far more areas that have devaluation. Perhaps the starkest area is Lynchburg, Virginia. Black majority neighborhoods there have home values 81% lower than in other neighborhoods. The absolute home value almost totally wipes out the value of the highest appreciation in the study, which is the Sebastian Vero Beach area. This is fascinating to dig into. Joining me now is the lead author on that study, Andre Perry of the Brookings Institution. Andre, you have put into a study something that we have known of, but is so influential because it's not just about your home value. It is going back uh, decades to the home value that African Americans have tried to achieve so that they can pass on to other generations. So it is, it is hurt generation after generation that African American neighborhoods have been undervalued. It means that African Americans can pass on less to their kids. Absolutely. The 
$156 billion that my colleagues Jonathan Rothwell at Gallup and David Harshbarger also at Brookings, the $156 billion we found in cumulative losses is really the amount of money that we use to uplift our social status. Right. So it's the money that should go to starting a business, going to college, um, improving your home, or even moving to a better neighborhood. Right. That's what we use the equity for. But essentially, racism is robbing people, black people, of that ability to uplift themselves. Paired with your report is some interesting uh, numbers from the National Bureau of Economic Research that 54% of the wealth owned by black families families is in home ownership. So it is a massive source of what wealth there is in, in, uh, in black households. So this is so critically important because it's not that home ownership is just one piece of the wealth of African Americans, it's the majority of it. Yeah, and we've got to remember that black folk believe in the American dream and we strive for the American dream. Also in the report, we found that Black communities, majority black communities, hold about $600 billion worth of housing assets. There is power and strength in black communities. We are doing what we are expected to do. But we, the devaluation is taking away more opportunities to advance ourselves. The, the narrative has been that black folk are the problem for declining neighborhoods, that, that um, black women's marital status, that uh, um, black boys who don't pull up their pants are the reasons why black communities are now moving up. But our research clearly finds that the devaluation, the perception of, of, of a negative value yep. is robbing black uh, residents opportunities for growth. And it's a vicious cycle. Uh, I spend a lot of my time in Philadelphia and your study found that Philadelphia uh, close to the average of home devaluation had a lower number uh, of, of libraries in some of those areas, lower proficiency rate for public school kids. Uh, game this out. If the value of the home is lower, it then creates a circle in which certain uh, institutions don't get settled in there, certain retailers don't come in, certain grocery stores don't come in. Yeah, you, de you devalue a neighborhood, there's a divestment, people leave the neighborhood, there's fewer municipal expenditures in the neighborhood, school quality goes down because there's just not a lot of revenue in the neighborhood. It's a vicious cycle. Um, again, um, it's not black folks' fault. These are great assets. They should be worth more, 23% uh, mm -hmm. more, and that money should be used um, for those community benefits. So I want to show you some more research from the National Bureau of Economic Research that shows uh, wealth held by white Americans uh, at the top versus wealth held by black Americans. Now if you look uh, around the middle to the right of that screen, you see that during the Great Recession, uh, wealth falters uh, in both cases. It, it falters by a lot more because white Americans had a lot more wealth to lose, and then it comes, it comes up. Uh, whereas black wealth, again, if it's dependent on things like property, it didn't drop as much, it didn't come up uh, by as much either. Yeah, you know, and this is the problem. Uh, wealth gives you the ability to withstand the shocks that inevitably will come. You lose a job, you get sick, um, your, your, your son or daughter gets married. You typically leverage your, your equity to fill those gaps. Um, the inability for blacks to gain wealth hurts our ability to deal with the shocks that will come. And so what I have been advocating for 
is for us to clearly um, have policies that help us deal with the racism that's baked, baked into real estate agents, um, um, appraisals, and lending practices. But I'm also saying to the black community, hey, we, it, this, this report that you can get at brookings.edu, you can actually see your price and you can uh, your, what your, your home should be worth, and you can demand value by animating um, um, the activity in your community and say, hey, we're worth more, we deserve more, we can invest more in our black communities. Andre, great conversation, uh, great research. Thank you for joining me. Andre Perry is uh, with the Brookings Institution. Hey, MSNBC fan. Okay, you can stop it there. All right, guys, that's from uh, MSNBC. Uh, Velshian Rule, MSNBC. Check that out. Uh, check that clip out on YouTube. Uh, and that is entitled, uh, Homes Owned by Black Americans Are Undervalued by Billions of Dollars. Uh, that's from uh, MSNBC's uh, YouTube channel, if I remember correctly. Yeah, MSNBC's YouTube channel. Uh, that's from November 28, 2018. Homes owned by black Americans are undervalued by billions of dollars. And it, also there's a good article at uh, newsdaily.today. Uh, news basically newsdaily.com. Uh, search for this. Homes owned by black Americans are undervalued by undervalued by billions of dollars. They have the uh, YouTube video in their article and they have a transcript of that interview that uh, we just heard also. Now, Ebony.com has an article uh, dealing with this from November 30th, 2018. Report black Americans' homes undervalued by billions. We'll probably talk about this some in the subsequent uh, weeks as well because this is a lot to get into. Um, but it, it, it talks about how uh, the devaluation of assets in black neighborhoods, the case of residential property, uh, homes in neighborhoods with a black majority that are owner-occupied or appraised for lower prices, averaging $48,000 per home. Uh, such, low appraisals, uh, such low appraisal prices translate to $156 billion in cumulative losses, uh, which was called a segregation tax. Now, the report states, quote, we believe anti-black bias is the reason this undervaluation happens, and we hope to better understand the precise beliefs and behaviors that drive this process in future research, end quote, okay? Also, according to uh, the report, homes with similar features were valued up to 23% uh, more in areas where there are no or very few African-American families. Now, what's interesting is I thought racism didn't exist anymore uh, when Barack Obama became president. I thought racism didn't exist anymore. Read the article from AtlantaBlackStar.com, Eight Ways Racism Benefits All White People. September 17, 2014, Eight Ways Racism Benefits All White People. I'm not saying all white people are racist or white supremacists. I'm talking about understanding racism as a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. Racism occurs when one race of people control the majority of the wealth, power, resources, benefits, privileges, land, access to education, access to opportunity media, etc., and they marginalize, and they use that to marginalize, subordinate, and do harm to another race of people, okay? I'm not saying all white people are racist or white supremacists or anything like that. No. What I'm saying is because of a system of white supremacy and racism, those who identify as white have a advantage. So one of the things they talk about is uh, uh, white Americans get to have a lower incarceration rate because their neighborhoods are not targeted for over-policing. Also, laws are not unfairly written to make sure they do, they do time and more of it. So when we look at Donald Trump targeting Chicago, 
and asking what the hell is going on in Chicago and saying stop and frisk should be brought to Chicago, but he doesn't talk about stop and frisk being t taken into Vermont or Ohio or Maine or any of these other white communities that are being ravaged by opioid addiction and their crimes associated with opioid addiction, crimes that people are turning to to get the money to buy the heroin, to get the money to buy the opioids on the street. So he's not calling for stop and frisk there, okay? Yet he's targeting uh, an African-American community for stop and frisk, but he doesn't want to deal with the legacy of segregation. He doesn't want to deal with a legacy of policing, a legacy of poverty, anything like this, okay? So also, if you look at the uh, Baltimore Department of Justice report, uh, and, and, the, and this was part of, uh, this led to the consent decree uh, in Baltimore, uh, they talked about how in Baltimore, there are two Baltimores. There's a white Baltimore where the police respect the residents. There's an African-American Baltimore where African-Americans largely, disproportionately, are not respected uh, by uh, police. And they talked about how, and I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing if I can bring this up, uh, they talk about how um, in Baltimore, white people are more likely to have illegal drugs on them, but African-Americans are more likely to be stopped and frisked, well not, not frisked, but stopped and caught with drugs. They talk about how white people are more likely to have drugs, okay, but as African-Americans more likely to be caught with drugs. Um, and I'm trying to see if we can pull up this uh, article here because I have some bookmark dealing with the uh, Department of Justice report. We see the root.com has one of the seven most outrageous and racist acts found in Department of Justice report on Baltimore police. Uh, so I, I'll see if um, we can find that for you. But I, I read a lot of the uh, Baltimore Department of Justice uh, report, and it's very, very disturbing, okay, uh, which led to uh, which led to the Department of Justice taking the Baltimore Police Department to court, entering into a consent decree with federal oversight, okay? And let's see, one of the things they talk about here is an African-American man, this is um, on page 51 of the report, an African-American man was stopped 30 times in less than four years and isn't charged with anything. Black, black Baltimore residents were seem, seemingly stopped by police simply for leaving their home leaving their homes. According to the Department of Justice, quote, BPD, Baltimore Police Department, disproportionately stops African Americans standing, walking, or driving on Baltimore streets, end quote. And multiple stops were par for the course. Quote, African Americans accounted for 95% of the 410 individuals stopped at least 10 times by Baltimore Police Department officers from 2010 to 2015. During this period, BPD stopped 34 African Americans at least 20 times and seven other African-Americans at least 30 times, okay? They talked about this one African-American man, he was stopped 30 times in less than four years, but he was never charged with anything. I just find that interesting. Um, so I'll try to, I, I want to get that actual uh, article, some from the uh, Baltimore, uh, Baltimore Sun also, okay? Um, Department of Justice starts years of costly reform efforts uh, in Baltimore. But if you research that, you'll find that um, white people were more likely to have drugs on them, but much but African Americans were more likely to be stopped, okay, and caught with drugs. I wonder why. And this dealt with the over-policing in the African American community in Baltimore. Okay, so when, when you go through and look at the report, they talk about two Baltimores. All right. 
So check out this article as well from AtlantaBlackStar.com, Eight Ways Racism Benefits All White People, Eight Ways Racism Benefits All White People. I'm not saying all white people or white supremacists or clan sympathizers or anything like that. And I'm talking about understanding a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. They benefit from that system. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. All right, so let's go to this next story here. Um, I talked about, uh, well, we know that George H.W. Bush passed away. Uh, it was a couple Fridays ago, I think it was. And there was a good article from Huffington Post, um, HuffingtonPost.com. George H.W. Bush, White House, once ordered drug buy from teen for a presidential TV stunt. George H.W. Bush once ordered drug buy from teen, a teenager, for presidential TV stunt. A black high schooler was sentenced to 10 years in prison over the incident that has recirculated after the president's death. Okay, so this article came out um, uh, December 1st, 2018. So the Friday night death of uh, former President George H.W. Bush has opened a wellspring of tributes from famous friends and foreign dignitaries. Commending the generous friend, accomplished politician, and skilled diplomat they saw in the 41st president. Contrasting with so much praise in one particularly appalling anecdote that has also bubbled to the surface from the depths of the Bush White House so-called war on drugs. The war on drugs. So the war on drugs originally goes back to June 17, 1971, declared by Richard Nixon. That was exactly one year before the Watergate break-in, which was June 17, 1972. And it was two years and two months from the Watergate break-in that Nixon announced his resignation August 8, 1974. He resigned 12 noon the next day. I think the same thing is going to happen to Trump. So George H.W. Bush, um, as you may not know, once, in, once used the Drug Enforcement Agency to lure an African-American high school student to Lafayette Park near the White House to make a drug buy that the president would use to illustrate a public health crisis on national TV. So the student at the time was 19-year-old Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson. And he received a 10-year prison sentence as a University of Baltimore assistant history professor Joshua Clark Davis detailed in a series of viral tweets. Now, from his desk in the Oval Office on September 5, 1989, uh, George H.W. Bush held up a bag of the rocky white substance and declared, quote, This is crack cocaine seized a few days ago in a park across the street from the White House, end quote. Now, it could have easily been heroin or PCP, he said, okay? So the idea to obtain the drug as a prop for television had come from AIDS, his, some of his AIDS, during the president's summer retreat in Maine. And this was reported uh, by the Washington Post uh, a couple of weeks after this took place. And George H.W. Bush quickly latched on to it. The televised bag of crack would help launch the president's ramped up effort in the war on drugs by showing how pervasive the issue supposedly was. But Keith Jackson didn't normally sell drugs in Lafayette Park. He didn't sell drugs. In Lafayette Park, from my understanding, is like right across from the White House. Okay? He normally didn't sell drugs there. They set this up to then dramatize and say, oh, they're selling drugs right across the street from the White House. Oh, we need to wrap up the war on drugs, which means we need more funding from Congress. 
Yet the manufactured drug buy serves as a sobering reminder of the war on drugs targeting of marginalized communities. Why didn't he set up somebody white? Why why didn't he set up I know we I know you in Washington DC is Chocolate City. They couldn't find a white drug dealer to set up. Yet the main oh everybody's quiet. Yet the manufactured drug buy serves as a sobering reminder of the war on drugs targeting of marginalized communities, along with the strain it has placed on the nation's justice system since former President Richard Nixon announced, uh, announced it in the 1970s. It was June 17, 1971. I've done, a, I've done a lecture dealing with the history of Richard Nixon's war on drugs. He declared that uh, in front of Congress, and he was trying to get more funding. He was trying to uh, convince Congress to fund his war on drugs. So the effort is also largely seen as a failure. The war on drugs is largely seen as a failure. Decades later, research shows the quote-unquote war has not been successful in reducing drug use in America, although it has markedly, markedly, markedly increased incarceration rates. We saw that under President Obama, incarceration rates were declining. We saw, as a, my broadcast I did earlier today, we saw in December 2015, uh, we saw that the U.S. prison population dropped to its lowest point in 20 years. It dropped from a peak of 2.3 million down to 1.53 million. There's an article from Newsweek.com that talks about this, and it cites the uh, Department of Justice report that came out December of 2016. The U.S. prison population dropped to its lowest point in 20 years under President Obama in December 2015. Nobody wants to talk about that, though. They want to give Trump, look at this. People want to give Trump credit for criminal justice reform that hasn't passed the U.S. Senate, that he did not support during midterm elections, that he did not campaign on that platform during 2016. They want to give Trump credit for this, but we see the incarceration rate of African Americans drop from 40% in the U.S. 40% prison population. U.S. prison population down to 34%, and we see the overall U.S. prison population drop from 2.3 million down to 1.53 million under President Obama. Nobody wants to say anything. But you want to give Trump credit for doing a press conference for a bill that he didn't even help write. Because we know that it started in the House of Representatives. That bill passed the House of Representatives in May of 2018. So why is it stalling in the U.S. Senate right now? And as Associated Press reported, the article came out today, picked up by AtlantaBlackStar.com, is Mitch, Senator Mitch McConnell, son of a Mitch from Kentucky, who's blocking the bill. What's holding it up? Mitch McConnell appears to be blocking bipartisan criminal justice bill. Imagine that. December 9, 2018, Associated Press, picked up by AtlantaBlackStar.com, Senator Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell's reluctance to hold a vote on a popular criminal justice bill has angered, has angered top Republican senators and created an unusual rift with a longtime GOP ally, Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. Now, both these men are old as hell. I mean, Chuck Grassley is 85. You know, you got Orrin Hatch, who's about 85. I think he's retiring. Hopefully he is. And Mitch McConnell looks like he's 85. You know, doesn't he look like Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies? Mitch McConnell, right? So Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa has spent years working to build a coalition around the bill and is pushing for a year-end vote uh, 
and Grassley says more than two-thirds of the Senate supports this bill. But Senator Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, which is one of the poorest, sickest states in the country, sick as far as health, is refusing to bring the legislation forward if a in a standoff that's dividing the Republican majority and putting Donald Trump on the spot. But remember, Donald Trump withdrew his support right before the midterm elections, after he got the photo op of sitting there with these black pastors, like Pastor John Gray, right? After he, because they came to the White House to find out about criminal justice reform, so he had all the media there, and he got the he got the he got the photo op with the black pastors, and then a few months after that, two or three months after that, he would withdraw support from the bill and says, "Let's pick this up after midterm elections." Why didn't you run on that during midterm elections and try to get African American votes? Because he wasn't serious about it in the first place. Jared Kushner was the one pushing this. It's interesting because I think Jared Kushner is going to go to prison. Imagine that. Just like his daddy went to prison. I think Jared Kushner is going to go to prison and Jared Kushner is fighting for criminal justice reform. Maybe he thinks it's going to help him. I don't know. So, for the 85-year-old chairman, the Judiciary Committee, uh, of the Judiciary Committee, Senator Chuck Grassley, this is not the way, uh, this, this is not the way the Senate is supposed to operate, okay? Chuck Grassley said, we've, we've done what needs to be done. So what's holding it up? So Grassley was expecting some deference from Senator Mitch McConnell after delivering on Trump's judicial nominees, right? Uh, Brett Kavanaugh. You know, remember the guy who loves to drink beer? Chase women? <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh. They put him on the Supreme Court. They've been confirming. There have been about 89 uh, ju uh, federal bench nomin uh, co confirmations. There have been 89 out of about 145 nominations uh, that Trump has done to the federal bench. They've been pushing through Republicans because they control the, um, because they control the Senate, then they have a majority on the Senate Judiciary Committee, which does the hearings, and then they take the open vote in the U.S. Senate, and they control a majority in the U.S. Senate. So if they vote along party lines, then Republicans are going to uh, confirm uh, Trump's nominations. So Grassley's saying, well, hey, we've been playing ball. We can we be confirming all these ultra-conservative very young white males, you've been sending us to confirm for the federal bench to change the landscape of the federal bench. We've been doing that, so why won't you play ball with us on criminal justice reform? So Trump backs the criminal justice bill also, but McConnell says it's divisive. His reluctance to take up Grassley's priority shows the limits of the Senate's old-fashioned customs in an era of heightened partisan politics okay so check out the rest of um, check out the rest of this article here and, and one of the things they talk about and I've talked about this before when we understand the war on drugs right especially we go back to um, 94 with the Clinton crime bill most of that was written by Senator Joe Biden nobody wants to talk about that um, that was signed September 13 1994 but 87% of the people who went to prison under Bill Clinton went under state law, not federal law. That crime bill was federal law. So, as this article from the Associated Press explains, 
Roughly 90% of prison inmates are held in state facilities and will not be affected by this legislation. Legislation is important because it deals with federal law. That crime bill dealt with the, the crime bill from Bill Clinton that people think caused mass incarceration and it didn't cause mass incarceration. If you actually do the research, mass incarceration go back to 1971 because states had already started passing longer, harsher sentences in the 1970s and 80s and going into the early 90s before the crime bill was signed in 94. Roughly 90% of prison inmates are held in state facilities and would not be affected by this legislation because it's federal legislation, not state legislation. While Jared Kushner has been meeting with senators on Capitol Hill, Donald Trump is also hearing from allies who are against legislation. Chief among them is Senator Tom Cotton, Republican from Arkansas, who, 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 who's taken over really for Jeff Sessions, because Jeff Sessions is against any type of criminal justice reform. Tom, Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton, is against any type of criminal justice reform as well. And Cotton is warning senators that Republicans will be blamed if criminals are released and commit new crimes. What about the criminals sitting in the White House? What about that one? Quote, only thing worse than early release from prison of thousands of serious, violent, and repeat felons is to do that in a spending bill with no debate or amendments, forcing senators to either shut down government or let felons out of prison, end quote. Cotton tweeted Friday, this past Friday, the spending bill will need approval on by December 21st to avoid a funding lapse days before Christmas. Happy Holidays. Uh, read this article from uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com, written by the Associated Press. What's holding it up? Mitch McConnell appears to be blocking bipartisan criminal justice bill. Interesting. Who would have thought? Okay. <laughs> Imagine that. All right. Uh, we're coming up here on the break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get into the story dealing with uh, Black China. Let me continue a little bit more with George H.W. Bush uh, and the Bush White House setting up this African-American team to use uh, the crack that he was selling as a prop, okay? All right, so obtaining the drug was no small feat, the Washington Post reported. The DEA agent knew that Keith Jackson sold drugs in his neighborhood and surrounding area. But initially, Keith Jackson didn't even know where the White House was and had to be persuaded to come to Lafayette Park that's how little crack cocaine was actually being sold around the White House. I mean, who would be dumb enough to go routinely go sell crack around the White House? Just think about that. Okay? So, so they set this young man up. As DEA agent William McMullen told the, White, told the Washington Post outright, quote, we had to manipulate him to get him down, down there. It wasn't easy, end quote. Now, uh, Keith Davis told the Huffington Post that although he recalled Bush's televised address from 1989, it wasn't until he was researching, uh, sorry, uh, Davis uh, told Huffington Post that although he recalled uh, Bush's televised address from 1989, it wasn't until he was researching for a book on activism that he learned about Keith Jackson, a 19-year-old who sold the drugs. Quote, the story of what happened to Keith Jackson got much less attention than the Oval Office address, okay, end quote, where uh, uh, Bush 
is holding up the crack cocaine. All right, we'll continue this on the other side of the break. Then we'll get to this other disturbing story of reality TV star Black China going to the motherland to promote white supremacy and sell them a skin lightning cream. Okay, listen to the African History Network show, 1980 on Superstation. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Um, Okay, visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Sign up. Uh, you can uh, register for the online courses that I teach. They're all on demand. Ancient Kemet, the Winter Solstice. Uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay? So, let's say... Um, a 10-course online bundle pack is all on demand. Watch at your own pace. And you can watch from around the world. So check that out. That's on sale $60, regularly $130. And then also we have uh, the Africans that were here before Columbus. The Africans that were here before Columbus. Um, eight DVD bundle pack. Okay, that's on sale $70. And that includes the double lecture I did. With Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. Uh, the First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. And also includes a lecture from uh, Dr. Ivan Van Sertema, who wrote uh, They Came Before Columbus. And uh, we have one from Dr. John Henry Clark in there as well, dealing with Christopher Columbus and the African Holocaust. So that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, uh, the Africans that were here before Columbus. All right. Let me pull this up. We'll be back from break in two minutes. Share this broadcast on your Facebook page. All right. What is this? Okay. We'll be back from break shortly. Who else do we have here? We've got Martel. Great show, Mike. We appreciate you. Thank you. If you want to donate to the African History Network, uh, you can donate at paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, or uh, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and click on the yellow donate button right there. And uh, that helps us support the African History Network, helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, uh, keep broadcasting the show. Do you have a child with ADHD, autism, or another special need? Would you like to treat your child holistically? and avoid pharmaceuticals and stimulants if possible? If so, you need to head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com, OurKidsCanThrive.com, and take the Holistic Special Kids course. Shava, a mother to four boys, ages 12 to 5, and a daughter who is almost 3 years old, has dealt with hyperactivity, anxiety, depression, severe anger, sensory processing disorders, chronic fatigue, and more. And now her children are all thriving. Chava is a holistic ADHD coach and has helped many children privately and now. She shared all of the tips, tricks, herbs, foods, and supplements she has used to treat her own children and many others. Head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com and sign up for the course now. Ready to start getting healthy? Well, I'm here to let you know that all natural honey is a great way to start. At Crazy Boy Honey, we offer all natural honey for the lowest prices. Our honey has no additives or preservatives. Go to crazyboyhoney.com. 
That's crazyboyhoney.com and see what we have to offer. And remember, shipping is free. It's your man, Mr. X. Get your hand out my pocket. Letting you know to catch our brand new podcast on SoundCloud.com slash G-Y-H-O-N-P. Go to YouTube page right now. Subscribe right now. Listen right now. We're on Twitter and we're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. We got the information. We're combining consciousness with activism. Don't be on the couch yakking at yak. Get out and do some real work. So check us out. And get your hand on my pocket, YouTube. I hope to see you there, because it's brand new, it's fast acting, and we on the ground. Trust. Yo, I only got one thing to say to you. Get your hand out of my pocket! There's a war going on, and don't get scared now. Peace. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. Follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. You can watch us uh, live right there. And uh, some of the people listening, we have Eric and Tamika and Bruce, uh, just a few of the people uh, watching us. Also, watch us on 910 AM, Superstation's uh, Facebook fan page as well. All right, uh, I want to let you know that... Uh, we have to ask the question, why are Lansing officials trying to take away local control of zoning ordinances? Why are they trying to allow our precious cities 
to turn into possible wastelands and contaminated environments. It's time for us to tell the guys in Lansing to stay in their lane. Stay in their lane. We know what happens when the states take control of local power. They win and we lose. Enough is enough. Lansing, stop being greedy. Paid for by Kevin Adele, a concerned citizen. I want to let you know that coming up on December 27th at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, I'll be speaking at the Kwanzaa celebration that the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement uh, is organizing. It's taking place 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., so I'll be the keynote speaker. And you don't want to miss that, so I'll deal with some of the history of Kwanzaa, how uh, Kwanzaa is based upon uh, traditional African first fruit harvest festivals coming out of Africa, coming out of ancient Kemet and Nubia, uh, coming uh, out of Nigeria amongst the Yoruba and amongst the Akan and Ghana, things of this nature. And then I'll, I'll tie that history, I'll tie that into uh, the movie Black Panther and deal with how the film Black Panther relates to African history, African culture, language, spiritual systems, uh, etc. We'll deal with some other things also. So that's December 27th, the second day of Kwanzaa, Kuji Chagalia, Self-Determination, Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. And then on December 29th, uh, 2018, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m., I'll be at Birch Theater, 2739 Russell Street in Detroit, for the uh, Kwanzaa Cooperative Economics uh, Entrepreneurship Workshop, organized by the uh, People's Action uh, People People's Action Committee. And I'll be speaking there as well, okay? So we'll have this information uh, sometime this week at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, so check us out there. And uh, also at our website, we have the eight DVD bundle pack, The Africans That Were Here Before Columbus, The Africans That Were Here Before Columbus, which deals with the African presence in this uh, country going back at least 51,700 years ago. It includes a double presentation I did with Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. It includes a lecture by Dr. Ivan Van Sertima, who wrote They Came Before Columbus, also one from... Uh, Dr. John Henry Clark dealing with uh, Christopher Columbus and the African Holocaust. Okay, all right. Let's go. Um, let's go quickly to the phone lines. Let's go to Lee Line One. A hey, Lee, welcome to the African History Network show. Thanks for holding. Go ahead, Lee. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. It's federal law, it's not state law. It's federal, it's not state law.
introduce drugs to the, you know, the, the government is the one that is bringing the drugs in here. They're still doing it to this day. Right. Let me ask you a question. Well, it largely targets, it largely targets African Americans. Now, it, targets, it, it hits poor whites also. It, disproportion, it disproportionately targets African Americans. Um, it, it, was, it was written by House, it was written by those in House of Representatives like Re Representative Hakeem Jeffries out of New York. It wasn't, it wasn't written by Trump, one. Two, two, well, well, not only that, not only that, he didn't campaign on it during the 2016 election nor during midterm elections. Well, that, that, I understand that, and you're absolutely right. And then, and I'm not trying to say that it's not an important issue. It's an extremely important issue in, in society and to make it, you know, oh, I agree. this country a, a better place for all and make it as equal as possible can because there is an unfair, you know, disadvantage for African Americans in this country. And anybody who denies it has either got their head in their backside, yeah. or they just don't care. Right. So, so if, yeah. if if we if we give credit if we give credit to yeah. for Trump for a bill that hasn't passed, then mm -hmm. shouldn't we give credit to President Obama because the U.S. prison population dropped to its lowest point in 20 years under President Obama? Not only that, it was uh, Attorney General Eric Holder in 2013 that issued the Smart on Crime Initiative that backed off of seeking the longest, harshest sentences for low-level, nonviolent drug offenders. But that was reversed That was reversed by Jeff Sessions, who was the Attorney General nominated by Donald Trump. Well, that's why Jeff Sessions is no longer there, you know, because... No, that's not why. No, 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 no. No, what's your name again? Lee? Hold on just a second. I'm going to let you finish. That's not why Jeff Sessions is not there. No, Jeff Sessions is not there because Trump was angry that Sessions did not recuse himself from the Russian investigation. Yeah. No, no, no. The Russian investigation is existing. You may not know it. This is this is why I don't want to get into this because this is kind of like what about it? It doesn't make any sense to waste our time and our energy and our efforts arguing or debating or splitting hairs over what about it? It's not, it's not a whataboutism. Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation because he, no, no, slow down, slow down, slow down. Because of his, because of his context with Sergei Kislyak, who at the time was the Russian ambassador. That's fact. No, okay, thanks for calling, Lee. Thanks for calling, Lee. You need to go do more research for you calling here. I'm not one of these other talk show hosts, so you can't, you can't come run that nonsense on me. You need to Google my name so you know who you're dealing with. Let's go to Al, line two. Al, welcome to the African History Network show. You need to go, you need to go do some research before you call. You can call in here, Lee, but you need to go do some research before you call back in here. Let's go to Al, line two. Welcome to the African History Network show. Hi, how are you doing, Mike? What's up, man? You all right? Proper documentation ends all conversation. Yeah, you, he's, he, he, he's being bombarded with Fox News and doesn't know how to go do research. In his congressional, in his Senate confirmation hearing. Yeah, Yeah, he ran on that platform of law and order. Which is which is the same platform that it's the same platform Richard Nixon ran on in 1968. I know that's the reason why I wanted to 
when the gentleman missed the legal ball, I'm like, man, this is you kind of bumble a little bit. But, I mean, he doesn't, I don't think he realized that Aaron Holder, Obama specifically had Aaron Holder and Loretta Lynch go, instead of going after a lot of these low-level um, crimes, mm-hmm. he started going after the high crimes. So, I mean, people don't even give Obama credit for that. I mean. Oh, absolutely. He got to realize that Obama wanted to end privatized prisons when, when Trump got back. When he won, he put the initiative back in. So, Right. That deal, that deal with federal contracts. I talked about that earlier today. In August of 2016, President Obama announced that the federal government was not going to renew contracts with privatized prisons for federal prisoners. Trump, Trump reversed that when he came into office. And the reason why he reversed that is because Core Civic, which used to be called uh, Corrections Corporation of America, and Geo Group, which, which used to be called Wackenhut, they donated almost six hundred thousand dollars to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. I don't don't dwell on the previous caller. Just go ahead and make your point, because I got I got other calls and I got other topics to get to. No, go ahead. Yeah, I, I apologize about that. Oh, uh, well, I just wanted to say, I mean, it's smoke and mirror. That's basically what I was trying to say. That's why I brought up the other incident that I wanted to just re-all. Elaborate on that's the reason why I called in. I just told people I had the information. That's the reason why I, I started to bring proper documentation in all discussions. So right. I'll just leave it at that. You have a good one, Mike. Okay. Thanks for calling. Let's go to John Line 3 quickly. John, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from. Mike, okay, I'm calling from the east side of Detroit. This go ahead. Hold on, he was what? Trump Plaza are you talking about? You're not talking about the one with Paul Manafort and Jared Kushner and and Donald Trump Jr. I'm not aware of Jeff Sessions being at that meeting. Jeff Sessions had meetings. He had contacts with Sergey Kislyak, who was the yeah. UN, who, who was the Russian ambassador to the U.S. at the time. But but Kislyak was not at, was not at that meeting that. Uh, Donald Trump Jr. originally said was about Russian adoptions, which is really about the uh, 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 the, the uh, McKinsey Act. I think I think it's called. I forgot how to exactly pronounce it. So I, I'm not aware of Jeff Sessions being at that meeting, but he had contacts with and meetings with the uh, Russian ambassador Sergey Kislyak, and he was not forthcoming in his congressional in his Senate confirmation hearing to to to, to, to confirm him to be Attorney General. And, 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 and then the other thing was also uh, because he was part of the Trump campaign, because of these things taking place, he had to recuse himself from the Russian investigation, okay? So, yeah. and, and this, and, and, and Trump was furious. Trump said if he had known that Sessions was going to recuse himself, he would have nominated somebody else. He said, what kind of man is this? Can, can, can more than one meeting at, 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 that's what they say now. 
how much you know what they say they care a lot. Right. And I just wanted to let you know that Jeff Jackson was not there. Okay. All right, John. Thanks for calling. Got to run. All right. So um, let's go back to the story about George H. W. Bush and the Bush White House. Bush Sr. setting up this African-American 19-year-old uh, named Keith Jackson, and he was lured to Lafayette Park to sell crack cocaine, okay? Lured there by the DEA. So uh, this is an article from HuffingtonPost.com, and Roland Martin talked about this on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered also, uh, which is his daily digital show. Visit, uh, uh, follow him on Facebook at Roland Martin and uh, YouTube as well, Roland Martin, and you can go back and watch the videos there, uh, broadcast of the show. George H.W. Bush, White House once ordered drug buy from teen, from teen for presidential TV stunt. And uh, the article goes on to say, obtaining the drug was no small feat, the Washington Post reported. The DEA knew that Keith Jackson, 19-year-old, sold drugs in his neighborhood and surrounding area, but initially... Keith Jackson didn't even know where the White House was and had to be persuaded to come to Lafayette Park. That's how little crack cocaine was actually being sold around the president's home. A DEA agent named William McMullen told the Washington Post outright, quote, we had to manipulate him to get him down there. It wasn't easy, end quote. Now, um, Davis told Huffington Post that although he recalled George W. Bush, George H. W. Bush's televised address from 1989, it wasn't until he was researching for a book on activism that he learned about Jackson, Keith Jackson. He said, quote, the story of what happened to Keith Jackson got much less attention than the Oval Office address, end quote, uh, Davis said, quote, this is just one person's life, but it is a window into how damaging the war on drugs was to many people, end quote. Okay, uh, he added that Bush's involvement tends to be forgotten in the history of the war on drugs. Now, the DEA did not arrest Keith Jackson until after George H.W. George H.W. Bush's speech aired, with agents simply hopping, uh, simply hoping the team would not hear about it. Okay, but Keith Jackson was arrested, and two hung juries later. Two hung juries later, prosecutors finally secured a conviction in 1990 on three counts of selling cocaine in two locations around his neighborhood. He had been acquitted of charges in the Lafayette Park sale. Uh, U.S. District uh, Judge Stanley Sporkin, S-P-O-R-K-I-N, urged Keith Jackson to ask George H.W. Bush to commute his sentence, which the judge considered too harsh. Sporkin was bound by law to hand down the mandatory 10 years, even though Jackson had no prior criminal record. Quote, he used you in the sense of making a big drug speech, Sporkin said, per the Washington Post. Quote, but he's a decent man, a man of great compassion. Maybe he can find a way to reduce at least some of that sentence, end quote. Now, Keith Jackson's sentence was not, was not commuted. 
He was released in 1998, according to the uh, Washington City paper. Okay, so uh, check out this article from um, uh, HuffingtonPost.com. George H.W. Bush, White House ordered, once ordered drug buy from teen, from teen for presidential TV stunt. Okay, uh, that's from HuffingtonPost.com. All right, so speaking of drugs, um, marijuana, recreational marijuana is legal in Michigan as of December 6th. But there are restrictions. You can't just walk down the street smoking marijuana. You can't drive in your car smoking marijuana. You can't just sit on your front porch smoking weed, things like that, and think that there are no restrictions. Okay? So, uh, Channel 7 WXYZ, uh, the day before uh, this law went into effect on December 6th, they had some helpful hints for you so you don't get caught up. Okay? Let's take a listen to this. Okay, we'll go to uh, we'll, we'll get that up in just a second here. Um, seven last minute things you need to know. Clip three. Seven last minute things you need to know about recreational marijuana in Michigan. All right, and then there was also a, a good article from um, Detroit News uh, as well. Prohibition ends pot now legal in Michigan. Prohibition ends pot lot pot now legal in Michigan. Let's go to the clip from uh, Channel 7 WXYZ. It's a commercial. Okay, we'll go to that in just a second here. All right. Okay, uh, we'll go to that in just a minute here. Uh, and then also they talk about how um, it's only for people 21 and older. Okay, let's go to this clip. No, I can't hear it. Okay, I'll turn it up here. Right here in Michigan. Tonight's 7 Action News reporter Alan Campbell takes a look at the seven things you need to know before the clock strikes midnight. Michigan is going green. Green like marijuana after voters said yes to Prop 1 legalizing pot. So we're going over some last minute things you need to know before you toke up. It's definitely an exciting thing. Soon, many people will be lighting up, hitting the bong, and getting high. But before you do, here are seven things you need to know beforehand. One, the only way you can get marijuana right now, at least, is if someone gives it to you as a gift. But you can still grow your own plants. The only way that you're going to be able to um, receive marijuana is through someone who's growing marijuana. Two, don't give up your medical card. It could save you some tax. It's still advantageous to have a medical marijuana card, mostly because of the taxation purposes. You'll be taxed less, as well as um, the separation of products. Three, you can only smoke inside your house, not on your front porch. However, on your back porch is fine, according to attorney Barton Morris with the Cannabis Legal Group. Four, you can drive with weed huh? in your car, no more than 2.5. Okay, we're going to pause it right there. We're coming up on a break. You listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Reading is imperative, family. Remember, it was illegal for our ancestors to read and gain knowledge of self. Still to this day, we lack a knowledge of self, especially this younger generation. DTR 360 Books has the books for you to develop and add to your knowledge in this world we live in. DTR 360 Books is one of the fastest growing online bookstores and it provides books dealing with finance, history, business, children's books, and more. 
Their motto is applied knowledge is true power. As the Bible states, faith without works is dead. So their thing is applying the knowledge that which you receive from these books. Visit their website today, dtr360books.com, dtr360books.com, and you can find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mel Trek is an animated series that teaches our children about their greatness. Episode 1 deals with exploring ancient Africa, where they go back in time and visit various African civilizations and the contributions that they gave to the world. Episode 2 deals with exploring pre-Columbian Americas and the children journey back in time to learn about several aboriginal cultures, defining structures and nations who arrived in the Americas before Christopher Columbus. This is a great teaching tool for homeschooling and the classroom, and they teach our children that their history did not start in slavery. We have the videos as well as the coloring book and storybook available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a Mail Trek bundle pack on sale right now for $79.99, and it includes all three episodes of Afro Man and the protectors of the book of knowledge. Get this great gift and teaching tool for your children today at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And Anime Productions presents Meltrek, Episode 1, Exploring Ancient Africa. Witness the most accurate historical account of African and African-American people. A story that has never been told like this before. Join Bunchy, Chen, Percy, Michelle, and Jesse as they open their third eyes and are sent back in time by their magical teacher, Miss Lawford. They begin their adventure in ancient Africa and the Nile Valley. There, they meet a young Egyptian boy named Ramesses. Using hip-hop, funky beats, and rhymes, Ramesses teaches the children about the great kingdoms of Africa. They explore the Nile Valley. The Nile Valley was a place of being gone as the first land of the golden is so Valley and Songha. Mali and Songha must have had some serious armies. The Congo. The Congo region is beautiful. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is where we land. And Witness the mental and spiritual transformation of the characters. Not only will they transform, but you will also as you travel with Meltrek. Let's resurrect the spirit of our ancestors inside all of us and recall that we all come from greatness so we can be We're going to a different time zone Where our ancestors always sat down the throne Yeah, and I'm talking about you and me I'm big vacation to city, greatest and royalty So rise up, sons and daughters of a KB land It's time to claim our riches and take back our land So come and take this journey And when you come back Tell your friends and family all about the mail track
Are you struggling with your finances or just need a second opinion? My name is Martisha Patterson and I am here to help. Whether you have questions about credit, retirement, taxes, investments, or meeting day-to-day -day responsibilities, you deserve access to a qualified, caring, and resourceful financial professional. As a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry, I have a passion for helping people gain confidence and become successful with money. Taking control of your finances creates options instead of obstacles confidence instead of uncertainty. Make no mistake, this is an important step for all of us. Will you allow your situation to control you or will you take control and make your money behave? My name is Martisha Patterson. Call or email me today to schedule an appointment. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384 or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910A on the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday, December 9th, 2018. Uh, here's a question. Why are Lansing officials trying to take away local control of zoning, zoning ordinances? Why are they trying to allow our precious cities to turn into possible wastelands and contaminated environments? It's time for us to tell the guys in Lansing to stay in their lane. We know what happens when the state when when the state takes control of local power. They win, and they win, and we lose. Enough is enough. Lansing, stop being greedy. Paid for by Kevin Adele, a concerned citizen. All right, um, let's go back to this clip from uh, WXYZ Channel Seven. This is talking about marijuana uh, being recreational marijuana being made legal in the state of Michigan. Uh, on December 6th and some of the restrictions, what you can do, what you cannot do. Let's go back to this clip. Five, you must be 21 years or older to smoke marijuana and you can't smoke weed in public places. If you get caught, you can't face a fine. Six, you can grow up to 12 plants inside your home. Whatever you grow on those plants is all yours. Anything over 2.5 ounces inside your house needs to be locked up. And for recreational, you can have a maximum of 10 ounces um, in your house, but it does have to, you know, still be locked up and still be stored away. Seven, finally, remember, even though weed is legal, your employer can still fire you for getting high. Employers have the right to say no to smoking pot. So again, marijuana will be legal in Michigan. If you do have any questions or concerns, you can go to our website, WXYZ.com, and check out some of previous stories. Reporting in Detroit, I'm Alan Campbell, 7 Action News. Okay. All right. So that is to help you out so you don't get caught up. And number four was you can drive with marijuana in your car no more than 2.5 ounces. Just remember, it's illegal to smoke and drive. So you can't, you know, <laughs> you can't be driving down the street smoking endo, sipping on gin and juice. Oh, that's illegal. Okay. <laughs> you can have marijuana in your car no more than 2.5 ounces but it's illegal to smoke and drive. So there's a lot of misconceptions. A lot of people think, yeah. thought you could just be driving around smoking weed. No, you, no, you can't do that, okay? Check this out at WXYZ.com. Seven last-minute things you need to know about recreational marijuana in Michigan. This is from, uh, this was updated December 6, 2018. They have a lot of other clips that I checked out uh, from WXYZ on their YouTube channel as well. Really helpful dealing with understanding the marijuana law. And also it's important to understand, you need to be 21 or older, people. You can't be 15 smoking marijuana telling the cop it's legal now. No, no. <laughs> 
No, you, you're going to need an attorney. Okay? <laughs> it's illegal. You have to be 21 or older. And the other thing that's really important, right? You can't just, like, set up shop trying to sell it. You can't sell it right now. You can only give it away. You can grow it. There are restrictions on growing it, but you can't sell it either. Okay? <laughs> All right. So last week, you know, we talked about the uh, troubling case of uh, E.J. Bradford. And E.J. Bradford uh, was shot and killed on Thanksgiving Day at uh, the Galleria Mall in uh, there in Alabama. Okay? I forgot exactly what city there in That's Alabama. Hoover. That's in Hoover. Yeah, Hoover, Alabama. Yeah, Hoover, Alabama. Uh, like J. Edgar Hoover. Um, and there have been some developments. Okay? So last week we talked about how uh, it was found out that uh, he was not the shooter. Number one, he had his gun out, and they talked about how he was a hero and he was helping people get to safety. And there were people who he helped get to safety who said he helped save me because there was a there was a man who was there at the mall shooting, okay, and uh, a off-duty police officer who was working in the capacity of a security guard saw E.J. Bradford with his gun and shot him. What has been an update in this story? And let's go to this clip here. from NBCnews.com. Turn it up here. This is evidence that is not debatable. It is evidence based on the scientific process that will help this family get to the truth. Because that's all they've been seeking since 952 p.m. Central Standard Time on Thanksgiving night. The truth of what happened to EJ. If you look at this anatomical diagram, you will see the bullet wound is to the back of his head, right near his ear. What's significant about that is all three of the gunshot wounds came from the back, which would suggest that EJ was moving away, was running away at the time the police fired the shots at EJ. Situation that happened is is very wrong. EJ's mother, my wife, we never had a conversation with my son ever again. Much much many times that they talk. But as you see from the evidence, my son was not posing a threat. And if you walked up from behind behind my son, usually gave him command, verbal command, drop the weapon. You shot him from the back, as y'all can all see. Three times my son was shot. When you walked up on that person, he would he not pose a threat to you. You could have taken him down without even having firing a shot. My son was murdered by this officer, and that was cowardice. You shot a 21-year-old person running away from gunfire, never posed you a threat, never had nothing in his hand. Why did you shoot him? You can't explain that to me because that ain't training. That's cowardice. You a coward. I'm telling you here on national TV across the country, you a coward as an officer. Where did you get that training from? What was going through your mind? 
You saw somebody running away. You just saw a weapon. And you. It just, it just okay. Okay, so it froze up. The clip froze up. We'll get that going. That was the father of uh, oh, E.J. Bradford. Okay, let's go back to the clip. Defenseless. I wouldn't lie to my son. I thought my son can even scream for help. Okay, okay. So that is um, that was a press conference held by the family and the family's attorney, uh, Benjamin Crump. Uh, the family had an independent autopsy done that showed that E.J. Bradford was shot uh, three times from behind. Uh, NBCnews.com has a good article about this. Alabama mall shooting victim killed by police was struck from behind independent autopsy shows. Police said they would not release officer video or other evidence about the shooting until the investigation uh, is complete. And Benjamin Crump said, quote, we believe based on this forensic evidence that this officer should be charged with a crime. There's nothing that justifies him shooting EJ as he's moving away from him. Uh, you're not a threat when you're running away. Okay, and the other thing is, uh, so the Washington Post had a good article about this as well, right? And if you go back and listen, and you know all these shows are podcasted, so you can. Um, yeah, we, we, uh, last week's show we have it on YouTube, and I have to put it on the audio podcast. Haven't been able to put it on the audio podcast yet. But if you look at the article from uh, Washington Post, November twenty fifth, two thousand eighteen. They shot the wrong man. They shot the wrong man. Police said they killed a mall shooter, then said they made a mistake. So at first, they thought that E.J. Bradford was the person who was shooting up the mall. Come to find out, he was not. But also, as um, Benjamin Crump, Attorney Benjamin Crump has stated, and they stated in this article, there were other patrons that were there at the mall who had their guns out also, but they, they were not shot by the police. There were other patrons who had concealed pistol licenses, things like that. They had their guns drawn also, but they were not shot by the police. E.J. Bradford was. Okay? So, it's... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with this case. So check out the article from uh, the Washington Post, the one from November 25th, entitled, uh, They Shot the Wrong Man. Police uh, said they killed a mall shooter, then said they made a mistake. Now, police think they have the man who actually did the shooting, okay? Uh, he's uh, 20 years old. His name is, according to the police, his name is Aaron Brown, E-R-R-O-N, -E Aaron Brown, 20 years old, was captured by the U.S. Marshals Service in Georgia um, this past Thursday. Okay, and that's reported in the article from NBCnews.com also. Check out this article once again. Alabama mall shooting victim killed by police was struck from behind independent autopsy shows. All right. Okay, so... Uh, we have all these stories taking place, and then we have a crazy story dealing with uh, Black China. So, face to face Africa, the, uh, the word face, the number two face Africa.com, uh, had a story from November 21st, I think this was, uh, November 20th. Black China is headed to Nigeria uh, to promote new skin bleaching cream. 
And this talks about how a reality TV star and American model, entrepreneur, socialite, uh, former stripper, Black China, was going to Nigeria on her first ever Africa trip to roll out a new skin bleaching or skin lightening cream produced in partnership with uh, the brand White Tanicious, which is by a Nigerian Cameroonian singer named Densia. Her real name is Rupredensia, uh, but it's shortened to Densia, D-E-N-C-I-A. And this is a luxury skincare line owned by, a, by Densia. Now, I first found out about this. This, this. this skincare line came out in 2014. So I followed this story since 2014, reported on it back then on my radio show. Um, Densia promotes it as a dark spot remover, a seven-day dark spot remover. But when you, look at, when you look at the article, and they have a picture of Densia in here before and after, it looks like her whole body must have been a dark spot because she looks like Casper the Friendly Ghost now. She was brown-skinned before using white tenacious. Now she looks pale. Okay? So Black China, whose real name is Angela Renee White, uh, was scheduled to be in Lagos, Nigeria, November 25th for the first official launch of the White Tanishes by Black China Diamond Illuminating and Lightning Cream, uh, together with Densia at a shopping event. Okay? She announced this on Instagram. She announced this on an Instagram page where she has 14 million followers. For what reason? I have no idea why she has 14 million followers on Instagram. However, she received so much backlash from this. That And the story was first broken by TMZ, that she removed the announcement from her Instagram page. Okay? Now, initially, her representatives told American media that uh, Black China had been using White Tanisha's dark spot corrector for a few years to deal with her hyperpigmentation. Okay? But TMZ had a follow-up story where they talked about how that's not true. She hadn't used White Tanisha's at all. So let me get this straight. You're going to Black Africa, Nigeria, to promote a skin lightening cream to African people, and you don't even use the skin lightening cream. So this was basically a money grab for her, it appears. This is basically a money grab. So this brought into light uh, the skin bleaching epidemic that's taking place on the continent of Africa. Okay, it is afflicting Nigeria. It's estimated that somewhere between 70% to 77% of Nigerian women use skin bleaching creams. Uh, it, it, it's uh, also a problem in Togo, Rwanda, uh, South Africa, things of this nature. Okay, now a lot, this is a holdover from colonialism. This comes out of colonialism, white supremacy, and self-hatred. Skin bleaching is a major problem in Africa and diaspora communities across the world. Many women and men go through the risk of lightening their skins to be regarded as quote-unquote desirable and beautiful. Many skin bleaching uh, creams include mercury, cortisone, and hydroquinine, chemicals that are linked to skin cancer, high blood pressure, thinning of the skin, other forms of cancer, other forms of cancer, kidney and liver failure. The risks associated, the risks associated with skin bleaching inspired Minnesota public health advocate Amira Adaway, A-D-A-W-E, uh, who has made it her personal mission to seek out shops selling skin bleaching creams and report their activities. All right. So in Africa, skin bleaching products have been outlawed in countries such as Ghana, Togo, South Africa, and Mali. Uh, 
but the laws are not being implemented. There is still a high demand for skin bleaching products, which have now been rebranded. They, they have now been rebranded as toning, dark spot correction, and lightning creams. Okay, so this is uh, self-hatred coming out of white supremacy, exported to Africa by an African-American woman. Okay, so this is something that's um, really, really troubling. And you have countries on the continent of Africa that are trying to fight against uh, the skin bleaching creams and this epidemic also. So there was a story dealing with Rwanda. And uh, there was an article from uh, FaceToFaceAfrica.com as well. Uh, as Africa loses fight against skin bleaching, Rwanda deploys police to enforce laws. Okay? As Africa loses the fight against skin bleaching, Rwanda depo deploys police okay, to enforce the laws. And uh, let's look at this article here. So, uh, to curb the harmful effects of the products and to enforce the laws, Rwanda has deployed the Rwanda National Police, RMP, together with Ministry of Health, Rwanda Food and Drug Authority, Rwanda Investigation Bureau, RIB, and Rwanda Standards Board, RSB, among other agencies to crack down on, pay attention to this, to crack down on 1,342 brands prohibited in Rwanda since 2013. 1,342 different brands of skin lightening, skin bleaching creams that have been banned, prohibited in Rwanda since 2013. Quote, so far, we have seized 5,606 assorted pieces of banned bleaching products, including lotions, oils, toilet soaps, and sprays. The illegal products were seized from beauty shops in Kigali and Eastern, and, and Eastern Northern, and Western provinces, where the operations have been conducted so far, end quote, police spokesperson John Bosco Cabrera was quoted by local media New Times. The products they seize include Maxi White, Skin White, Fair Light, Secret White, Diamond White, uh, Diprason, Cairo, uh, Cairo Light, C-A-R-O, Clear Men, and Epiderm Cream. The Police said it will continue the operation to get the products off the shelves and to, pre and to prevent importers from trafficking the products into the country. A police spokesman said, quote, right now the focus is getting them off the shelves and educating the people on the law and dangers they pose to users. But at the same time, strengthen strengthening operations on traffickers of these toxic skin whitening substances, end quote. So the operation was launched by President Paul Kagame, uh, joined in the debate, joined in the debate uh, on Twitter against the harmful skin bleaching products and ordered the police and health ministry to take action. The, the operation was launched after President Paul Kagame joined in the debate on Twitter against the harmful skin bleaching products and ordered the police and health ministry to take action. Despite all the campaigns against skin bleaching, 
Nigeria hosted American model, entrepreneur, socialite, and former stripper, Black China, who launched a new skin bleaching cream in Lagos, Nigeria, November 25th. Uh, okay, so, and then it, then it talks about that story that uh, we talked about. We'll be back in a few minutes. You listen to the African History Network show with Michael M. Hotep from Sunday, December 9th, 2018. Do you have a child with ADHD? autism, or another special need? Would you like to treat your child holistically and avoid pharmaceuticals and stimulants if possible? If so, you need to head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com, OurKidsCanThrive.com, and take the Holistic Special Kids course. Shava, a mother to four boys, ages 12 to 5, and a daughter who is almost three years old, has dealt with hyperactivity, anxiety, depression, severe anger, sensory processing disorders, chronic fatigue, and more. And now her children are all thriving. Chava is a holistic ADHD coach and has helped many children privately and now. She shared all of the tips, tricks, herbs, foods, and supplements she has used to treat her own children and many others. Head over to OurKidsCanThrive.com and sign up for the course now. Ready to start getting healthy? Well, I'm here to let you know that All Natural Honey is a great way to start. At Crazy Boy Honey, we offer All Natural Honey for the lowest prices. Our honey has no additives or preservatives. Go to CrazyBoyHoney.com. That's CrazyBoyHoney.com and see what we have to offer. And remember, shipping is free. lecturing on African history worldwide. Brother Bullock, a.k.a. The Black Knight, is the founder and CEO of Black Knight Productions, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the research and teachings, if I may be so bold, of the greatest story never told, African history. Brother Bullock teaches in all areas of human interaction, those major ones being economics, entertainment, education, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. So for more information, if your organization would like to have the total experience of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of what this brother brings to the table, then reach out to the Black Knight, and he will certainly reach back to you. So contact him directly at M-B-U-L-L. 
L357 at gmail.com. That's M-B-U-L-L-357 at gmail.com. Hotep, brothers and sisters. Check out the uh, Facebook Live broadcast. I did check out the broadcast there on YouTube. Uh, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube. Dealing with, I went in-depth into this and connected this also to uh, Little Kim and her skin lightning that took place. Uh, I talked about Lupita Nyong'o, uh, who we first saw in 12 Years a Slave, and she is from Kenya, and Lupita Nyong'o has talked about how growing up in Kenya, uh, when she was in second grade, she was told by a teacher, uh, where are you going to find a husband darker than you, okay? Mm -hmm. And she talked about how, uh, as a child, now Lupita Nyong'o is very beautiful. In 2014, she was named People Magazine's most beautiful person. She was on the cover of People Magazine, right? She talked at an Essence Magazine lunch or awards luncheon or something like that. She talked about how when she was a child, she said she had one wish. She prayed to God each night that he made her light-skinned. She prayed to God that when she woke up in the morning, she would be light-skinned. This is, this is how much of an epidemic white supremacy is in Africa. This is a holdover from colonialism. Okay? And... As Bantu Stephen Biko said, one of our great South African freedom fighters, who was portrayed by Denzel Washington in the 1987 movie Cry Freedom, he said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed, so we must take our minds back. And we don't ask permission to take our minds back. We just take them back. Because they didn't ask permission to take our minds in the first place. We don't ask permission to take our minds back. We also must take our land back as well. So when you look at South Africa, you have uh, brothers and sisters in South Africa who are uh, working on rewriting the Constitution to take the land back from the colonizers. Rightfully so, because it was stolen. The Dutch invaded South Africa in 1652. They stole the land for my ancestors and didn't ask permission and kill many of them to take the land. So now you have an effort to uh, take the land back in South Africa. We'll go to the phone lines in just a minute here. But uh, let me go quickly uh, to this story from DailyMail.co.uk. Uh, white farmers legal fight against plans to give their land to black South Africans without compensation is thrown out by country's high court. Dailymail.co.uk, November 30, 2018. White farmers legal fight against plans to give their land, to give their land back, to give their land to black South Africans without compensation is thrown out by country's high court. South Africa's High Court rejected a legal challenge today brought by a group, group representing white farmers against President Cyril, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa's plans for land expropriation without compensation. Land is a hot-button issue in South Africa where racial inequality remains entrenched more than two decades after the end of apartheid when millions of black majority were dispossessed of their land by a white minority. Uh, we're going to go to clip four in just a minute. I just sent that to you. Ramaphosa, who replaced scandal-plagued Jacob Zuma in February 2018,
has made land redistribution a flagship policy as he seeks to unite the fractured ruling African National Congress, ANC, and win public support ahead of an election next year, 2019. In his legal challenge, Afroform questioned the legality of a key parliamentary committee report which recommended a change to the Constitution to allow land expropriation without compensation. Okay, uh, so you can check out the rest of this article here. Uh, Dailymail.co.uk, you're going to find out more about this. You know, we talked about this early uh, a few weeks ago, and we're going to continue to stay on top of this story. Let me know when we have that queued up. Okay, okay so uh, there's been a development in the Eric Garner uh, case out of Staten Island, New York. Let's go to this clip for an update. face-to-face -face today with a New York City officer accused of using a banned chokehold on him. That officer appeared at a disciplinary hearing today where the judge set a trial date. We had News 4's Rana Novini at the hearing. It was emotional being in the same space with my son's murderer. It was very, very emotional, but I was able to contain myself. One car walked out of one police plaza surrounded by family and friends. It's been four and a half years since her son, Eric Garner, died while NYPD officers tried to take him into custody for selling loose cigarettes. The medical examiner ruled a chokehold contributed to his death. He choked a man to death who said 11 times, I can't breathe. A Staten Island grand jury previously decided not to indict Officer Daniel Pantaleo, and he's been on desk duty ever since. Now the Civilian Complaint Review Board is taking the case and a judge set a trial date. We would have liked to have seen it much earlier, but I am just glad that this is moving forward. The medical evidence in this case has been misconstrued and inaccurate from the beginning. Speaking over chants from protesters, Pantaleo's attorney said his client never used a chokehold. We need to educate both the media and the public that not only was there never a chokehold, but Officer Pantaleo was just making a simple arrest using a seatbelt technique. But for Eric Garner's family, who prepares to spend another holiday without him, there's no peace until they say they have accountability. The family is in pain. It's been four and a half years right. with no justice. The trial is set to begin on May 13th, and it's expected to last about 10 days. Each side says it will present a dozen witnesses. Reporting in Lower Manhattan, Rana Novini, News 4, New York. Okay. All right. That's, a, that's an update from um, News 4, NBC News 4 in New York. Uh, check out this article. Officer accused in Eric Garner chokehold death case to face disciplinary trial in May. It's going to be May 2019. Uh, this article is from December 6, 2018, this past week, and you can watch that uh, video there. So we're going to stay uh, glued to this. And keep in mind, when you go back and research this case, uh, he laid there and they, didn't, they did not provide, the officers that were standing around did not provide any first aid to Eric Garner either. It wasn't until uh, EMS got there on the scene that any type of first aid was rendered to him. Rendered to him. The officers just standing around didn't do anything to try to save his life either. Wonder why. Okay, bet you if it was a dog, I bet you they would have done something to try to save the dog's life. Okay. Um, all right, look here. Uh, we're almost out of time here. Uh, let's go to this uh, next story here, right? So this was a bad week for Donald Trump. 
And we saw uh, Friday, we saw uh, Mueller and the prosecutors in the Southern District of New York file uh, memos. Uh, federal prosecutors drew some more important lines between Russia and those connected to Donald Trump on Friday in a trio of filings in the Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort cases. Beginning late Friday afternoon, we saw Cohen sentencing uh, recommendations filed by uh, the Southern District of New York and Special Counsel Robert uh, S. Mueller, the third's Russia investigation, and a document from Mueller's team laying out Paul Manafort's alleged ties to it. Okay, now Manafort is toast. Okay, Manafort, uh, Manafort's in deep trouble. Michael Cohen's in deep trouble also, okay? Because Manafort was basically a double agent between the Mueller investigation and going back and reporting to Trump's attorneys what he was telling the Mueller investigation. So uh, in all three, the plot thickened for uh, Trump just a little bit. But it's, it's really more than just a little bit. They're being conservative. Uh, number one, SDNY, Southern District of New York, uh, Michael Cohen has overstated his cooperation, cooperation uh, with Mueller. Okay, uh, and, and this is what the uh, Southern District of New York is saying. Uh, number two, the government has implicated Trump in Coins' crimes. The government has implicated Trump in Michael Coins' crimes. Uh, we knew from his plea deal in which he admitted to eight crimes that Michael Coin had implicated Donald Trump in campaign finance violations. That's a felony, people involving the payment to Stormy Daniels, but as the Washington Post Philip Bump details here, the Southern District of New York prosecutors also state Trump's role in directing the payment as plain fact. Okay, quote, in particular, and as Coyne himself has now admitted with respect to both payments, he acted in coordination with and at the direction of individual number one, end quote, they say, again referring to Donald Trump as individual number one, as the documents last week did. Uh, so number three, Michael Cohen was contacted by a Russian national in 2015. One potential clue for the collusion investigation has to do with a contact Michael Cohen received in 2015 from a Russian national seeking quote-unquote, synergy between the campaign and the Russian government. From Mueller's document, the defendant also provided information about attempts by other Russian nationals to reach the campaign, okay? Uh, for example, in or around November 2015, Michael Cohen received the contact information for and spoke with a Russian national who claimed to be a quote-unquote trusted person in the Russian Federation, who could offer the campaign, quote-unquote, political synergy and, quote, synergy on a government level, end quote. The defendant recalled that this person repeatedly proposed a meeting between Individual One and the President of Russia. Individual One is Donald Trump, for those who have not been following along, okay? Uh, so, number four, Mueller appears to be keen, to be keen on, keen on Russia's ties in Trump's business, Mueller appears to be keen on, Trump, on Russia's uh, ties in Trump's business. The writing was on the wall for this when Mueller reached the plea deal with Cohen for lying about such matters last week. It was the best explanation for Cohen's continued pursuit of Trump Tower Moscow being entered into the public record. 
But the Mueller document makes clear Michael Cohen has given it information about these matters, information it is interested in and called useful. Okay? And number five, so they have some more information here. you got to read this yourself. Uh, and number five, uh, Man Paul Manafort's alleged ties will also Russia focused and deal with a big unknown. As soon as we found out last week that Manafort had allegedly lied to Mueller's team in violation of his cooperation deal, the question was about was about what? What was worth lying about for a man whose cooperation was required for the leniency he apparently sought? Okay, so you can check out the rest of this. Oh, Friday's filing in that case doesn't shed much light on what Mueller knows, but it is noteworthy how much of uh, how much of Manafort's allegedly lying pertained to his business colleague in the Ukraine, Konstantin Kalimnik, whom the U.S. government has said has ties to Russian intelligence. Okay, all right. So check out the rest of this. Uh, five big takeaways from the new Michael Cohen, Cohen and Paul Manafort filings. Uh, Washington Post. This is from the uh, from. November, I think November 7th, 2018, okay? Check that out. And then uh, also uh, the next meeting for the, um, the next meeting for the Black Legacy Coalition uh, to support the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History is coming up Wednesday, December 12th, 2018, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Wellness Plan Building located at 7700 2nd uh, Street, uh, in Detroit, um, and you can. Uh, there's a parking lot there. There's a big black gate. There's a parking lot there. It's right at Pallister Street, the Wellness Plan Building, seven seven zero zero Second Street, Wednesday, December twelfth, six p.m. to eight p.m. Uh, stay tuned for Pastor Mo. Thanks for listening to the African History Network show. Visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent. Right now, it's correct wrong behaviors, not over till we win. Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. Yo, what's going on, everybody? It's your man, Mr. X. Get your hand out my pocket. Letting you know to catch our brand new podcast on SoundCloud.com slash G-Y-H-O-M-P. Go to YouTube page right now. Subscribe right now. Listen, right now. We on Twitter, and we on Facebook, and we on Instagram. We got the information. We're combining consciousness with activism. Don't be on the couch yakking at yak. Get out and do some real work. So check us out and get your hand on my pocket, YouTube. I hope to see you there because it's brand new, it's fast acting, and we on the ground. Trust. Yo, I only got one thing to say to you. Get your hand out of my pocket! There's a war going on, and don't get scared now. Peace. What would you do if someone took your real life story and stole it from you, made millions off of it, and got away with it? That is exactly what happened to Shatona Tillman Sr., the real John Q. Being one of the most innovative and prolific writers of his time, his new book, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story, gives chilling testimony of his personal battle for justice against big names like Time Warner and New Line Cinema. In his unapologetic new book,
the no's of men, the yes of God. You'll hear about the judges and corrupt lawyers as Shatuna Tillman Sr. warns us about the life and the pitfalls in the movie industry. You'll be at the edge of your seat as this book reveals the brutal truth about the theft of the feature film John Q, how Time Warner in New Line Cinema stole his movie and how he's fighting to get it back. Pick up your very own copy today, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story by Shatonda Tillman Sr. You won't regret it at www.therealjohnq.com. Are you looking to regain your health and vitality? Then visit naturallifeenergy.com. That's naturallifeenergy.com. It is an alkaline, plant-based diet website based on Dr. Sebi's methodology and nutritional guide, which supports the healthy expression of the African black gene, but it benefits everyone. Combat the ill effects of white supremacy that has brainwashed black people into eating foods that support the development of diabetes, high blood pressure, and cancer. Gain a better understanding of how to use a plant-based diet based on Dr. Sebi's nutritional guide to help heal your body and mind by reading Achilles' book, Alkaline Plant-Based Diet. Learn how to use herbs used in Dr. Sebi's methodology to help address complex diseases like lupus and IBS in his herbal book, Alkaline Herbal Medicine. Alkaline Herbal Medicine. Purchase Achilles' books from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other book retailers. Get your copies today. <laughs> 